Anyway, uh, you know, when I was 22 years old, 22 years old, I uh, moved down to South Florida. I lived in Florida for a time. And uh, just, it was kind of after a really tough time in my life. And so I, I decided I want to start over. And so I moved down to Florida and I got a job uh, in, in the mall. Anybody ever work in the mall? Yeah. Mall jobs are great, right? So I got a job in the mall. I actually worked at a Radio Shack. And I loved it. Like, the people that I work with were just cool people. And my boss was like, I didn't know anybody down there. My boss was like a big brother to me. It was so fun. But one of the things that I love to do the most at my mall job was to kind of perch myself just inside the door of, of our store and look out and watch people which I realize sounds a little bit creepy. Okay, I get that. But you never, like, know what or who is going to walk by. You know, like, you'd see younger people, you'd see older people, you'd see, you know, bigger people, you'd see smaller people, you'd see uh, people that were wealthy, quite wealthy, and they dressed that way in their clothes and their jewelry. You'd see folks that were not, that were really struggling. Uh, you'd see people that spoke English, and you'd see people that spoke Spanish and German and French and lots of other languages, you'd see people who were like meticulous. They were well-groomed. They were meticulous in what they looked like, right? And you'd see people that couldn't give a rip what they looked like. You'd, sometimes you'd see famous people, and a lot of times you'd see ordinary people. You'd see people that were well-tanned. You'd see bodybuilders. You'd see goth people. You'd see homeless people. You'd see uh, tourists, and you'd see locals. You'd see all kinds of different people, and it was so fun, right? Like, I, I, it, was, it was the most interesting part of my day. I love people watching. Again, I realize that sounds weird, okay? But I loved it because people are so different, you know? Like, everybody is so, like, every, most everybody I saw had two arms, two legs, and a head, but beyond that, there were tons of differences. So, and they weren't just physical differences. Like, think about how different we are as people. It's not just physically, right? Like think about the personalities, the different personalities people have. One of the things that, that fascinates me is, are the different personality, the temperament types, personality types, and temperament tests. You know, so you have people that are introverted and people that are extroverted, right? People that get their energy by being alone, people that get their energy by being with people. You have people that are very intuitive, and they, and they, they kind of gather information in abstract ways. And you have people that are very concrete, and they gather their information through their senses. You have people that are thinkers and people that are feelers. You have people that are judgers, which is like they live their life in a way that's nice and orderly. They have a lot of lists and schedules, right? And you have perceivers, people who live with a lot more flexibility and spontaneity. Like People are so different. And then you have like different experiences that people have, right? Like we all have all kinds of different experiences in our lives. And we have different preferences, right? Like some people like one thing, other people like other things. When I was younger, that used to irritate me because I wanted everybody to like just what I liked, right? But as I get older, it's like it's so cool. Like I love the music because I'm not a particularly musical person, right? But some people love it and they're so gifted that way. Some people love sports. Some people love computers. Some people love cars, you know, and they just can figure out everything and fix everything with a car. Some people like crocheting. Some people like scrapbooking. Some people, I looked up online the 10 craziest hobbies. I Googled it. You should Google it sometime. It's fascinating. You know what I found? This is a real thing. Competitive dog grooming. I got pictures. You want to see them? What do you think? That's Scooby-Doo, guys. 
This is a thing. How about this one? Mickey Mouse. These are real live dogs. How would you like to be one of those dogs? That's the Muppets. The tail is Gonzo. And then my favorite one, Yoda dog. It's a real thing. Other people like collecting belly button lint. This, too, is a real thing. That's somebody's hobby. I took that picture this morning, you know? No, I'm just kidding. So here's my question to you. What makes you, you? I think about that. We're all different. We're all unique, different people. What makes you, you? Like, how are you wired? You know, what, what do you enjoy? What's your personality like? What do you spend your time doing? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? This stuff's really important for us to understand, like how we're wired, how God has made us, what we've experienced, like who we are is really important because it affects so many different things in our lives, right? It affects our job. Like not every job is perfect for every person, right? It affects what job fits best with us. It affects, you know, how we get energized, how we, how we recharge, how we rest. Who we are affects our relationships, people that maybe we connect a little bit more naturally with and people that we don't. And tonight I'm going to challenge us that understanding how we're uniquely wired can and should affect us in terms of multiplication, in terms of evangelism, like how and to whom we share Jesus with. So that's what I'm going to challenge us with a little bit tonight. So if you've got a Bible, flip it open, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. So the book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, right after the Gospels. And tonight we're going to finish up this series that we've been in for, this is the ninth week, the last, the last nine weeks, called Multiply. So we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've been seeing how the early church multiplied, how it growed, how people were coming to know Jesus, they were experiencing Jesus, and then they were going and they were telling other people about Jesus. And the church grew and grew and grew. And so the church, the people who are following Jesus, they just look different than everybody else, right, in a good way. And the people were intentional then about helping others understand what made them, or maybe better said, who made them different, right? They were, and they were telling people about Christ. And so as they did that, the church grew. The church multiplied over and over and over again. So tonight, we're going to finish up. That's what we've been like the last nine weeks. We're going to finish up this series. And we're like halfway through the book, okay? So we're only chapter 17 tonight. And so I want to challenge you to read it, like finish it. The book of Acts has so many just amazing stories of what God does. And as people venture out, as people take risks, as they step out, you get to see God act in incredible ways. And so I really want to challenge you, like just because we're finishing the series, don't stop here. Read the the last 10, 12 chapters of the book of Acts. So we're in Acts uh, chapter 17, and in Acts chapter 17, Paul is on a journey. He's on what's called a missionary journey, and so he's traveling all throughout the known world back then, telling people who Jesus is and what Jesus did. So remember last week, we talked about Paul and Barnabas being called by the Holy Spirit, being prayed for, and then sent out by the church in Antioch. Well, after they left, after the, the church sent them out, they went out on, one, on this journey, right? And they start telling people about Jesus. And, and so, I mean, picture this. They're going out, meeting people that they don't know, 
They're telling them about this amazing thing that God does that sounds crazy, right? God sent his son to become flesh and blood, to live perfectly, sinlessly, ultimately be killed, but then be resurrected again. It sounds crazy. Like, why would somebody believe that? Well, the Holy Spirit does miraculous things to verify, to validate the message, right? And so as Paul and Barnabas go and they're they're meeting people and they're telling people about Jesus, God is also doing miraculous things through them, like healings, right? So they go out and they do this, and then they come back and they report to the church at Antioch, like what God has done. Like, can you imagine how encouraging that would be? The church prays for them, sends them out because God has called them. God does amazing things through them, and they come back and they report and they tell them all this amazing stuff. So so that's what happens. Then they spend a little time with their friends at the church in Antioch. And sometime later, they go on another journey. They go on a second missionary journey to visit new cities that they had never been to. And this is a bigger journey, okay? They visit new cities they'd never been to and tell new people about Jesus. And so this time, Paul doesn't take Barnabas with him. This time, he takes a guy named Silas with him. And then a little bit later, another guy named Timothy comes with him. Timothy is a guy that Paul writes. We have a couple letters to Timothy in the New Testament. It's kind of his protege, his young pastor, okay? So he joins them. And so this time, they go on a bigger journey, further away. They meet lots of new people, and they tell them about Jesus. And guess what happens? More people come to know Jesus. And as more people come to know Jesus, more churches are formed, more churches are started. Well, then you get to Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, which is where we're going to pick up tonight. By this point, Paul and Silas, they've already been imprisoned for their faith. They've almost been beaten up and killed by a rioting mob. Finally, Paul makes his way to a place called Athens, Athens, Greece. Now, I don't know what you think of, like when you think of ancient Athens, I think of two things. This is how my mind works. I think of two things. I think of Greek gods and I think of Greek philosophers, right? Like when I think of ancient Greece, I think of guys like Apollo and Poseidon and Zeus, right? I've seen lots of movies with those guys in them. I think of Greek gods and I think of Greek philosophers. I think of guys like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. That's, that's what I think of when I think of ancient Athens. Well, believe it or not, that's actually a relative, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, That's actually a relatively accurate view of what Athens was all about back then. We're told that that the city is filled with false gods. The Bible calls them false idols. The city's filled with them, these false gods. And then this philosophical intellectualism. It's sort of this this ever-changing list of new thoughts and new ideas and systems of thought that try to explain our existence and our purpose and our ultimate reality, mostly apart from the God that's revealed himself right here, right? So this this is what Athens is all about. It's filled with these false gods, these false idols, and it's filled with this philosophical intellectualism right? I want to know about the newest ideas, the newest philosophies. That's what it's all about. So this is the world that Paul jumps into in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, and how he chooses to respond in this world 2,000 years ago is actually very, very relevant for us today, because we may think that we're really, really different from ancient Athens. I think we'll find out tonight that we're not all that different. So Um, hopefully you're open to Acts chapter 17 in the Bible. Actually, I want to pick up at the end of verse 14, and this is what it says. So Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea, so Paul's by himself. 
Those who escorted Paul, they brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So that word greatly distressed there, um, it doesn't mean like heartbroken. That's, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean like he's lovingly sad, like, oh, he's, just, he's depressed. He's distressed. That's not what it means. It's not like puppy dog eyes. It's not how Paul was feeling. What it means is he was irritated. He was angry. He was provoked. He was frustrated. He was actually burning with anger. That's what those words mean, okay? So he looks around the city. He sees that it's full of idols, and he's ticked off, okay? Verse 17. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So he sees these idols, and he wants to do something about it, right? He's, he's ticked off. He wants to do something about it. So he goes to the synagogue, and he goes to the marketplace, and he starts talking with people. And he starts reasoning with people, debating with people, right? And then these philosophers come up, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans, they're named after the founder of, of them is a guy named Epicurus. And basically, they believed that pleasure was the big thing. Like for humans to experience pleasure, that was the greatest good for mankind. A life of pleasure meant they had peace of mind, they didn't have stress, they didn't have anxiety, they didn't have worry. They believed in a god or gods, but he wasn't really involved with the world. So he created it, but then he kind of left. Go fend for yourselves, right? And so Epicureans became, kind of in a nutshell, they became this very materialistic, pleasure-seeking people that ultimately lived pretty foul, hedonistic lives. That's what the Epicureans were all about. The Stoics, on the other hand, were really different. It was founded by a guy named Zeno. Their goal, we kind of use this today, like he was so Stoic, right? The Stoics, their goal was to live in independence, to be hardworking, to be self-sufficient, and to be at harmony with nature. So it has sort of this pantheistic view of God and the world, like we are all one. We're all part of one thing. We're all interconnected. And they didn't believe that God was a personal God either. So if they believed in God, he wasn't a personal God as demonstrated in the Bible. They believed in fate. Everything was about fate. And so what what we should do to be happy is cooperate with fate. That's the Stoics. So two of these philosophies that are very, very different than Christianity, and yet they're kind of interested in what Paul's saying, right? Like they, they kind of know, they call him a babbler, but they kind of know what, want to know what he's talking about. And so look what happens, verse 19. They brought him, I'm sorry, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus is interesting. It's, it's sort of this intellectual hub. That's what it was. It's sort of a combination of board of education and like think tank. Think, think like Mensa on steroids. You know what Mensa is, right? Google it if you don't. It's like Mensa on steroids, okay? That's the Areopagus. So they're meeting together. He says, we should take him to this. So they take him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. 
All, and, then, and then Luke says this, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So you get a little commentary here from the guy who wrote the book of Acts, Luke, same guy who wrote the Gospels. He said, this is what the Athenians were like. Knowledge was king. New ideas, the latest ideas, that's what ruled. They wanted to hear about, they wanted to understand, they wanted to discuss all of the latest things that were happening. And so Paul recognizes that. And he seizes the moment and he begins to tell them about Jesus. A lot of us can kind of be like the Athenians here, can't we? Like kind of interested in the next big thing. You know, like I, I, you see people sleeping out at Apple stores all night to get the, the latest technology, the latest gadget. We can be focused on, you know, the latest music that's coming out, Adele's new album, right? Like we could be focused on the next big sports thing. Like we could be not that different from them. But Paul recognizes that. And so he brings this new idea. They invite him to the Areopagus and he begins to tell them about Jesus. Look at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found, as I walked around, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm gonna proclaim to you. And then very quickly and very succinctly, Paul shares part of the gospel with them, meeting them right where they're at and communicating with them in a way that they would understand, at a level that they would understand. Verse 24, he goes into it. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So what's he saying there? He's a personal God. Right? Remember, remember their beliefs about God. If they believe in God, he's just sort of this deistic create and then go away and fend for yourselves. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. He's personal. He's involved in his creation. He's invested in his creation, right? Verse 29, therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What's he saying? He's saying we got responsibility, right? Like you and I have responsibility, and our responsibility is to repent. God overlooked this in the past, not anymore. It's to repent because judgment is coming, and we're going to be held accountable, right? Verse 32 when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. So let me give you a summary. What's happening here? Well, Paul's in Athens, right? He walks around the city. He sees that it's filled with idols. It's filled with these false gods 
and it upsets him. It bothers him. He's ticked off. He's burning in anger. And so he goes into the synagogue and he goes into the marketplace and he starts dialoguing with people. He starts reasoning with people, which I think would have come very naturally for Paul. Like Paul's, I, he, he, I didn't, I've never met him, but I think he's kind of a talker, right? Like he, this would have come very naturally for him. And so he goes to these places and he's reasoning with people and he's trying to understand what they believe and where they're at. And he's telling them about who he knows, Jesus, and what he's experienced. And it's not long before some of the, the intellectually elite, they see them and their kind of interest, their interest is piqued, right? And so they invite him to the Areopagus or uh, the nerd factory, as I like to call it, right? <laughs> to, to present what he's learning, and so he goes there and he presents to them and he tells them about God and who he is and what Jesus has done. He shares at least part of the gospel with them, at the same time referencing one of their own idols, right, to the unknown God and some of their own poetry. So he connects with them. And some people think he's an idiot, right? It says, I mean, they don't say it that way. They say sneered at him. Same thing. They didn't like what he had to say. They thought he was an idiot. Resurrection of the dead, come on. That's so beneath us. But other people were interested. And some of them became followers of Paul and more importantly, became followers of Jesus. So that's, that's the story, right? Now, what can we get from it? And let me say this. There's so much, like there's so much in this story. There's so much happening here that I'd love to talk about. But we don't have time for all that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out three things, and I'm going to challenge you guys. This is, this is such a good habit for us. Like, as you're picking up your Bible and you're reading, it's so easy to read and then put it down and not think about it anymore, to go, oh, I understand what's happening there, and not dig into it. Pull out a few things. The, the scriptures are so rich. Every time we go to them, there'll be new things that we learn. But when you go, pull out a couple things and think about them. And apply them to your life during the week. That's what I want to do. I want to pull out three things for us. The first thing, I got to tell you, at first reading in my English Bible, Bible same, same Bibles that we have around here, I, I did not understand. I misunderstood Paul's feelings as he entered Athens. He looked around and he saw these idols. I misunderstood when it says that he was greatly distressed. I, I understood it as like he's heartbroken for these people who are confused and lost. And he looks at them with love and he has compassion on them and he's going to give them the truth. <clears throat> that's, what I, that's what I thought he meant. But when you actually understand the meaning of the word in the original language, it's pretty obvious that's not how Paul was feeling. It's interesting. That's not how Paul was feeling. He was ticked. He wasn't like, oh, you're lost and confused. Let me give you the truth. He's looking around. He's going, look at this. Look at all these false gods. Look at all these false idols. He's irritated and he's angry. What drove him to that? Think about it. What drove him to that? Paul was jealous for God. Paul was jealous for God. He was jealous that God wasn't getting the glory that God deserved. You ever felt that way? It's an interesting perspective. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I driven for God to get the glory that he deserves? Just think about that in your own life. Am I driven for God, the all-powerful God of the universe, to get the glory that he deserves. Maybe, maybe you've not really thought about that before. Th- think about it this way. Imagine a husband who's a great husband. Like he's, a, he's just a wonderful husband. He loves his wife. He serves his wife. He prays for his wife. 
He's gentle with his wife. He encourages her, right? He blesses her. He's so grateful just for who she is. And he works hard and he provides a generous salary for his wife so that she can have all of her needs met. He absolutely adores her. Imagine that. And then imagine a wife who openly and publicly could not care less about her husband. She does not give a rip about him. She treats him like he's worthless, like he's unimportant, like he's an idiot. She's ungrateful to him. She's selfish. She's prideful. She thinks that she could have done better for herself than him. And she wishes that she had married someone else. In fact, she, she cares so little about him, she engages in affairs. Not one, but multiple affairs with any guy that would have her. And not even secretly, but out in the open, not giving a care about how this makes her husband feel. And, and worse yet, she gives these other men respect and honor that her husband deserves as they get what they want for her, from her. How does that make you feel about the wife? How does it make you feel about the husband? See, guys, this, this is the, the exact metaphor that God uses over and over and over again in the Old Testament about how the Jews betrayed God and they pursued other gods. They pursued other idols like an unfaithful wife to her perfect, loving husband. And guys, I think this is what Paul had swirling around in his head as he goes to Athens and he looks around and he sees all of these idols. Like a husband, God has done everything for us. And in return, the Athenians were worshiping and pursuing and giving respect to these false gods, totally neglecting the only one who deserves that respect and worship. God wasn't getting the glory that he deserved, and it caused this burning anger inside of Paul. He was jealous for God to get the glory that he deserves. Guys, I wonder if this sort of thing affects us. Like, it's easy to look back and go, okay, you, know, you have all these false idols, these false altars. They're worshiping Zeus and Poseidon and stuff. We don't, we don't do that today. I'd argue maybe it's even greater today. I don't know. When people worship the gods of, of the Hindus or the god of Islam, or you see people who are living as Buddhists, or they worship the god of materialism or success or sports or pleasure or vanity, or comfort, how does it make you feel? And we, we, we worship other gods, don't we? How does that make you feel? Are you jealous for God to get the glory that he deserves? Or do we not really care? Or worse yet, are we tempted by these other gods, false gods, these other idols, and even pursuing them ourselves? Like, are we giving God the glory that he deserves in our own lives? Or are we more like modern-day Athenians, worshiping our false, our false idols? We don't worship Zeus anymore. But maybe we worship money. Maybe we worship success. Paul's passion for God to get what he deserves and, and his anger and frustration when that doesn't happen, like, that's really challenging for me. I mean, I'll just be honest with you guys. That's really challenging for me. I don't think I'm jealous for God 
to get the glory that he deserves nearly enough. Nearly enough. And, and I love that what it does is it propels Paul then to go dialogue with people. He's not going, oh, those Athenians are just terrible people. Get in his boat and then go, I was going to say get in his car, he didn't have a car. Get in his boat and then travel someplace else. That's it not what he does. But he goes and he talks to them. And I really love how he speaks to the Athenians. He's not timid, right? I mean, what Paul's doing, he's engaging in some pretty challenging ministry. He's going to these foreign places he's probably never been to before, doesn't know anybody there. He's meeting people, and then he's telling them about how God sent his son to, became, to become a man, to live perfectly, to die, and he was resurrected, and he's going to come back, and he's going to judge the world. Like, that's a pretty serious message, right? Like, that's a life-changing message, which, by the way, it's the same message 2,000 years later that you and I have today. And just like, just like Paul wasn't ashamed in sharing the message, he was bold in sharing the message. Guys, I think we need to be unashamed and bold as well. A- ask yourself this question. Will I be ashamed or speak boldly? Like, think about that. And I'm not talking about like sharing, you know, whatever message on Facebook and like God is so great and da, 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 or Twitter or whatever. Like it goes far beyond that. Like how open are you with other people that you're a follower of Jesus? Like not just a good person, not just a kind person, not just generous, not just gracious, but that you believe that Jesus is God, that he came and he lived and he died for you. And that he's the only way to forgiveness and peace with God. Like, do people know that you believe this in your life? And and I realize there's times when it's best for us to to be quiet and let our lives speak. Because I think there's a lot of times when we try to let our lives speak and God's calling us to use our words and let people know. Like, do you? Do you believe all of this stuff? Like maybe tonight you're sitting here and you're here because you know, you're investigating all of this. You know? You're trying to figure out if this is right. I want to I gently say this, guys. I think, I think God draws a line in the sand with the message of the gospel. Like I, don't, I don't think there's any middle ground. I think either we believe that Jesus is the way or we don't believe it. You know, a lot of times we want to kind of pick and choose, don't we? Like, well, I believe this, this, and this, but I don't believe that, that, and that. Like, we as Americans, we do that with a lot of things, right? Well, I can accept this, but I don't accept that. I'm a free thinker. I think God draws a line in the sand, and he says, there's no, like, middle ground. You're either with me or you're not with me. See, in Paul, you see a guy who absolutely, absolutely believes that Jesus is the only way that you and I could be forgiven, that you and I could be accepted, that you and I could have peace with God. And he's bold about sharing that truth with other people because he cares about other people. Now, you see, not everybody accepts the message, right? I mean, it says some people do, some people don't. They don't care, or else maybe they don't care yet. But that doesn't stop Paul. He cares about God getting the glory that he deserves, and he cares about people being forgiven being accepted and being at peace with God. See, I need to remember that. I do. Because I know that sometimes it's best to be silent and listen and let my life speak. I, I realize that. But it's really easy to just do that, you know? It's not open up. And, like, that's not going to, that doesn't save anybody, right? 
we have to give them the good news about Jesus. And in my own life, I, I, like, I mean, I, I need to be more bold at times. I just do. You know, maybe, maybe I need to not worry so much about myself. Maybe I need to, to not worry about offending other people so much or be, being accepted by other people. Like we have to be bold with the good news that God has given us. I need to remember that. I'm not ashamed, but sometimes I could keep it to myself because that's what our culture says is good. You're all, you're, we're allowed to have our beliefs as long as you keep them to yourself. That's not the gospel, is it? Let me tell you what I love most about this passage. It kind of comes full circle to where we started tonight. Paul's doing, you know, what's so honoring to God, right? Like he's going out, he's, he's listening to God, he's going on this journey to go tell people about Jesus. It's so honoring to God, but he's doing it in a way that's very natural for him. And, and I would even say it's even comfortable for him. He's unashamedly telling people who God is and what he's done with many people that are very similar to him. See, in many ways, Paul's not that different from the Athenians. You know, he's well-trained. He's a cultured guy. He was highly intelligent. He was passionate and committed to the life philosophy that he thought was true. So are the Athenians. Paul was ministering to a people that he had an awful lot in common with. Like, he liked to reason. Again, I, I think Paul was a talker. I think going into the synagogue and going into the marketplace came very naturally for him. Here's what speaks to me from this. I need to use what I've got and not try to be something I'm not. I need, need, it rhymes, forgive me, I know, just happened to be that way. But I need to use what I've got and not like pretend that I'm somebody else, right? Right? Like sometimes we can try to pretend like we're somebody else. Maybe, maybe we got somebody in our life who's really different than us, and we really respect them, and so we think, that's how I got to be. I got to be just like that guy. Listen, I know who God made me to be, and I know who God made you to be, and it's just who you are. God made me with my experiences. He made me with my strengths. He made me the way that I look. I used to want to be 6'4 and have a full head of hair. Look at me. I don't got it. But this is how God made me. With my likes, with my preferences, with my hobbies. And God doesn't make mistakes. And those things give me a platform to speak. They give me a very natural and easy way to connect with others who are apart from Christ and tell them the good news about Jesus. Like, I don't have to try to be somebody that I'm not. If I would just be intentional in my daily life, right? It's my natural circles of life to look for opportunities that God is opening up and be intentional about stepping into those opportunities and telling people about the God who's changed me and is changing me. It's so natural. It's, so, it's actually normal. Let me give you an example. I love basketball, despite my stature. I love basketball. I love my son, My son loves basketball. His basketball team needs a coach. Therefore, I go coach his basketball team. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, I got 11 young men that I get a chance to get to know and speak into their lives. I get to be an influence with them. And then I got, I was going to say 20, that's probably 30 when you count step-parents and everything, 30 sets of parents that I get a chance to get to know and develop relationships with. 
all because of my love for basketball and my love for my son, right? Let me, let me give you another example. I love working out. I have a garage. I fill my garage with workout equipment. I have a wonderful wife. <laughs> I like people. I live in a neighborhood. I talk to people. When I find people that like to work out, I invite them over. We work out together. Other guys from the church, too. We work out together. And as God provides opportunities, we talk about things that are much more important than working out or how guilty we feel about eating the donut that day, right? I get a chance to tell them about Jesus. It's not hard work, guys. It's very, it's very natural for me because it's kind of how I'm wired. It's what I love to do. How about you in your life? And, and, and please hear me. Like I am, I am not doing this perfectly. Please don't hear me say that. I don't have it all together. But I'm trying to be a light right where God has placed me. Like, how has God wired you? How has he made you? Do you know that, you know? Like, sometimes, especially when we're younger, it takes some time to kind of figure out who we are, you know? Who am I? Do you know who you are? And are you willing to use those things to be used by God to help other people encounter Jesus? Stop worrying about evangelism. Like we can beat ourselves up as Christians with that. Oh, I know, I feel so guilty. I know I should tell other people about Jesus. I feel like I, I know I'm supposed to knock on doors. Or what. Listen, like, just be who you are. And as God provides opportunities, be intentional about them and take advantage of them and walk through those doors and tell people about Jesus. This is what we've seen these last nine weeks over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. And as people faithfully step in, wherever God has called them, wherever God has put them, as they faithfully step in and they, tell, they take advantage of the opportunity and they tell people about Jesus, God does what only he could do. He grows his church. He changes people's hearts. He multiplies his church. So I want to challenge you tonight. Like whatever that looks like in your life, would you pray about it? Would you think about who you are like, what are the natural circles that you function in? And how can God use you in those circles? Whether it's as a teacher or selling grass services or in the factory or in the office or in your neighborhood or at the gym or wherever. Would you pray about God using you right there with your giftedness, just like he made you to be a witness for him?